welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, good morning. My name is Crystal Lehner. Um, Micah and many others are still up at the retreat, so I was given the honor to introduce Rabbi Allen this morning. If you were feeling sad that you didn't get to go on the retreat, feel sad no longer. I think they're a little jealous of us right now. Um, Rabbi Allen is a gifted teacher. He loves the scripture, God, people. Um, He's an asker of profound questions. And he is a listener with the kindest eyes. So he has had such... um, an impact on many people here and on our own Micah as well. And so we've already benefited in many ways from the teaching that Rabbi Allen has poured into Micah and others here. And this morning we get to have him here with us. I don't know where he is. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um, it's so sweet to be here. Uh, incredible. Uh, I was last here at Easter where Micah just blew the roof off this place with an incredible, incredible um, sermon. Um, does everybody have a sheet? Uh, okay, great. If you don't have a sheet, it's now or never. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, what I'd like to ask all y'all to do is um, just read through it real fast, and then we're going to study So if you could all take a moment and read through. Okay, everybody more or less had a chance to read through. A little bit of background information. 1 Kings 3 places us around the year 960 BC. There have already been two kings. Uh, Saul is the first king, David is the second king. And David has managed to do pretty much the unthinkable, which is he has united the 12 tribes and managed to calm all the enemies who are betwixt and between the 12 tribes and surrounding the 12 tribes. And in his lifetime, David created something that simply had not existed in Canaan prior to David, which was Gesundheit, uh, aside from Gesundheit, um, which was peace with prosperity. There had never really been a time in Canaan with peace and prosperity prior to David. And he creates peace with prosperity. And David is one of these, um, well, for so many reasons, um, a transcendent, truly luminous figure. He was the greatest warrior of the age. He was the greatest general of the age. He was a poet. He was a brilliant political strategist and a man who had a heart after God. Well, any one of those could be a career for a normal human being, um, but he was all of them. Uh, To give you just a small sense of some things we don't think about David and yet are there, he conquers a Jebusite city by the name of Jerusalem, meaning it's not part of the 12 tribes. He makes it the capital because It's not in any of the tribal territories, so that no power will accrue to any of the other 12 tribes. When the founders of our country 
take a piece of swampland that's not part of any state by the name of Washington, D.C., and turn it into ca the capital, as they themselves say, they're basing their decision on what David did 2,700 years ago, which gives you a sense of the kind of figure that he is. We tend to focus on him as an anointed of God, which of course he is, but there's all these other dimensions as well that make David absolutely breathtaking. It's only the third king, Solomon, and he's confronting a most evocative challenge. He wasn't trained to be king. He's coming to being king as a teenager, and he's not confronting a problem. How one leads in a time when there is not a problem is actually one of the greatest problems. <laughs> because usually we get all focused on trying to solve a problem. But what happens when there's not a problem? So that's kind of where we're dropping in, in 1 Kings 3. And um, any questions about any of that? This is actually meant to be participatory. I'm about to start asking questions. Y'all gonna start answering. So I'm about to stop talking momentarily. Actually, that's about as much as I ever talk. You just heard it, hope you enjoyed it. So. Um, okay, let's go. In verse five, what happens? In verse five, ask me for anything, good. More, before that, still in, ah, louder. The Lord appears to him in a dream. Now I wanna suggest we have already gotten quantums of information. Think about dreams in scripture. What happens in dreams in scripture? Ah, directions are given. Bravo, don't stop. Louder? Oh, bravo. Revelations, about what? The future, very good. Dreams in scripture are almost always about the sacred future. And usually, if you think about the dreams in scripture, over and over again, they're about the things that are what to the person in the present? Pardon? Hopes, very good. More? Fears, don't stop. Consequences, ooh, well that's true too. Uh, keep going. Oh, a little more feeling maybe. <laughs> Transformation. The dreams in scripture very consistently are about everything everybody said, but they're about the potential moment for sacred transformation in the present tense. If one can do what? Obey. More. Listen, here comes the dance gang. God appears to people in a dream. 
You wake up from a dream. Most people will say what when they wake up from a dream? It was just a dream. Here it comes. Can we take our own sacred experiences of God seriously? Or will we say, it was just a dream? It was just a walk along the beach and I suddenly had this moment, but come on, it was a walk along the beach. What does it mean to take our own lives seriously? Jacob, bless you, <laughs> wakes up from a dream and here's his words. Surely God was present in this place and I, I knew it not. Genesis 28, verse 16. But if you listen to the words, surely God was present in this place and I, I knew it not, means that when he went down to sleep, he went down to sleep and it was what for him? A rock. Yes, very good, well remembered. He's sleeping with a rock for a pillow. He goes down to sleep and it's what for him? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Normal, thank you. It was just an ordinary night like every other night in his whole life. But he wakes up and it's no longer normal. Gang, for all of us, there has to be that first time we experienced God. The first time. This is his first time, Genesis 28, verse 16. And the great question is, if I was to say to you right now, do you recall the first time you experienced God? Let's make this an all play. You ready? Do you recall the first time you experienced God? Uh, very good. Now, how many of you don't recall the first time you experienced God? Yeah. But nevertheless, I want to suggest you already have. And the great question is not whether you've experienced God, but the question is, do you remember? Very good. Do you remember what you experienced? Okay. Incidentally, okay, one more thing, but then <laughs> we'll get back to the passage. Um, he says, surely God was present in this place, and I, I knew it not. This is none other than God's house, the gateway to heaven. And that phrasing is giving us a huge clue. The first experience of God is our gateway, the opening of the gate that allows us to enter towards the sacred path that will lead us directly to God. We all have a gateway. 1 Kings 3 verse 5, this is Solomon's first conversation with God. Here's his gateway. Here it comes, and here's what Abba says. Sha'al ma etain lach. Sha'al means ask, ma means what, etain means I will give, lach means to you. So, here comes Abba, it's a dream. First time Solomon's experiencing God, ask what? I will give to you. What has Abba said to him? Oh, Thank you. 
<laughs> oh, for everyone to hear. He asked what he will give to him, not what Solomon wanted. Okay, mega bravo. <laughs> He's not asking Solomon what he wants. Ask what I, meaning God, will give to you. Gang, I want to suggest 1 Kings 3 verse 5 is a sacred test. You could hear it as how. Oh, who said that? <laughs> you could hear it as genie in the bottle time. We're going to rub the bottle. Now we're going to get all these requests. We can ask for whatever we want. If you hear it that way, guess what you are not? A louder, Sylvia? Not hearing the voice of God. Guess what you are not? Don't stop. What? Listening. Ooh, that's better than I deserved. Um, I want to suggest what you're not is a future king of Israel. Because if you're seeing genie in a bottle time, you're making it about whom? It's all about me. It's all about what I want. Ask what I, God, will give to you. Here it comes. It's a test. Will you answer from your own hungers and your own needs? And believe me, we've all got hungers and needs and unfinished business in all our lives. Or will you answer for whom? For the people, yeah. Whom are you thinking about? And as with all tests, real tests, they just come when? Louder? I heard somebody say it. Unexpectedly, just all in a moment, suddenly it's in front of you. Nobody gives you, hey, time out. Now you're going to have a sacred test. <laughs> all systems on warning. No, that's just not what happens in real life. In real life, it's just there. And a portal to our sacred future opens. And we can walk right in, which is exactly what we're witnessing a human being doing in 1 Kings 3. A human being in his sleep is having a moment when he could walk right in. And walk right in, he will. It's quite astonishing. And gang, he's a teenager, 17, 18, not trained to be king. Questions, comments, thoughts on all that. I actually mean this. <laughs> if anybody, had, yes. Bathsheba is his mother, and she was the one who convinced David that Solomon should be king. Yeah, and she's in the picture, meaning she's still alive. Oh, my bad. I should have done this. Solomon is the word shlomo in Hebrew. Shlomo has the root shalom. Shalom means peace. His name literally means his peace, God's peace. So here it comes. If he can live into his name, he can do what? Oh, wow. Louder? Bring, bring peace to the kingdom. 
if he can live into his name. Okay, any other questions, comments, thoughts? Ah, great question. What if he had not passed the test? Oh, okay, bravo. Uh, for those of you who might not have heard that, God knows all already. God already knows. Amen, Selah. So, in scripture, a test is a technical term. It has a very specific meaning. Anybody happen to know in scripture, and that word is used over and over again, test. What does it mean to receive a test? What's the purpose of a test? Louder? Oh, my goodness. Um, for those of you who did, might not have heard that, um, the whole room should be mic'd, but I don't know how that would work. Katie, you could work on that for next time, okay? So, um, being refined. A test, so, bravo. <laughs> a test, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two and three. I made you wander through the wilderness for 40 years. There's a few more words there. To see, so you, you could see what was in your heart. So the purpose of a test is for us to discover what we really, who we really are. In real time, real life. Not what we'll say we'll do with a glass of wine uh, and a lovely dinner, um, but what we actually do in the real moment in real time. Good, any other questions, comments, thoughts? About to go on. Yes. Oh, very good. The shadow of your smile. Yes, very good. Uh, it's, that's old school for you, you, you guys who haven't. Uh, so, uh, uh, could you say it louder so everybody can hear? Very good. So, the young Solomon, for sure, and, and another dimension of Shlomo, Shalom means peace, but the root of Shalom, Biblical Hebrew has three letter roots, um, is Shalem, and Shalem means to be whole. So literally his name means peace, or his peace, or God's peace, but it, it also more deeply means God's wholeness. What does it mean to be truly whole? And in this passage, which is about the wisdom of Solomon, which clearly, obviously, the way I'm going, we're not going to get too much into, but um, who will be brought before Solomon as the testimony to his wisdom in the passage? Louder. Two prostitutes, meaning what? In other words, if you were thinking about it, we're going to have a passage that's going to um, bear witness to the wisdom of Solomon. And then you tell a story about two prostitutes? Why? <laughs> what he said was, mega bravo, he, what he said was God's love for all. 
everybody's in the kingdom. It, you would have thought, oh, it's going to be some sort of geopolitical, the king of Egypt and the king of Assyria and Solomon solves a problem. No, two prostitutes. But not just two prostitutes. By the time Solomon is finished, one of the prostitutes has become what? One of the prostitutes has become what? Uh, that's true too. But by the end of the passage, one of the prostitutes has become what? A mother. Two prostitutes, but it ends with one of them becoming a mother. Everybody notice that? Here comes what a good shepherd can do. So gang, we're going to skip real a ton. Solomon has a problem. Two prostitutes come in to the room. Each of them is saying what? My baby. Right? Each of them is saying my baby. But read closely verses 6 through 8. Uh, 6 through 9. 6 through 9. To whom do the people belong? Louder? Somebody said it. God. Everybody see that? The people belong to God. So I want to suggest we're at one of the key dimensions of sacred leadership. But it's one of the things that people fall prey to most in the 21st century. You are my employees. You are my students. You are my flock. The people belong to God. Solomon knows the people belong to God. In walk two prostitutes, and each one of them is saying what? Mine. Up goes the sword. What's he creating? What? Who are you? I know who you are. <laughs> A test. A test so that they can do what? See what's in their hearts. One of the women still says, my baby. But one of the women says something that's so profound and so beautiful and runs through all of scripture. It's more important that the baby live than that I own it. The baby belongs to God, not me. Yes. Ah, self-sacrifice. It's not about me. It's about the sacred future. In the present, even if it means me having to release loving this child in the, in the way that we would want to, in the present tense, in real life, in real time, holding it, letting it fall asleep on us. All of that gone because you love the child more than you love what? Well, perfect self-sacrifice. Solomon shows 
he can create a sacred test. He knows how to create a test that allows the other person to be, somebody said it over here, oh yeah, transformed right before their very eyes. She came in, it was my baby. The sword goes up and suddenly she realizes, oh, there's something more important than my baby. Who really loves the future? And what does it mean to really love God's future? How much time have I got, John Mark? A few minutes? Okay. All right. <laughs> now you know who the real boss is. <laughs> it ain't me. Uh, so, gang, questions, comments, thoughts? Couldn't it be argued that Solomon didn't actually receive wisdom from God because he showed that he already had that wisdom in asking for the right thing? Okay. Wow. I want to say God has implanted gifts in each of us and in all of us. And here comes the big question. Not whether God has implanted gifts, but the great question is? Pardon? What are the gifts and? Oh, who said that? <laughs> Louder? Do we recognize in real time the gifts that God has put in us? And I want to say, survey says that's one of the hardest things to do. We can see other people's gifts pretty easily, but seeing our own gifts, and that's why we're given tests that then allows us to see, oh, we do have that gift. That's really within us. It's been there all along, given to us by God, but God was present in this place and I in this place and I, I knew it not. What does it mean to come awake, come alive to the consciousness that God is present in this place, in each of us, and not just in each of us, but in us together as families, in us together in friendships, in us together as a sacred community? There's so much more, but um, any final questions, comments, thoughts? Oh, wait a second. This is going to be a big question. So if you don't pass the test the first time or you don't respond the way that we should or he wants us to, but he has something very specific for us in mind, do we then have another opportunity to retake the test or does he give that opportunity to someone else? Okay, so the... Um, the question is, will we have another opportunity to retake the test? Yes. Might he give the opportunity to somebody else? Yes. Um, meaning there are passages in the text where you get another chance, or many chances. And then there are passages in the text where it's really about this moment in time, and the flock needs a shepherd now. So there's the, the, the honest answer is looking at all of scripture, the answer is yes to both of those. One more question, comment. Yes, hold on. 
Oh my goodness. Um, wow. Uh, say it again and I'll repeat it. <laughs> Similar to how Solomon already had the wisdom that um, he was asking for. The woman was already a mother, and it was the test that helped her to see what was already in her and brought that out in her. Wow. Oh, that's so good. One more question. <laughs> Does God know everything? Oh, that's easy. Yes. <laughs> but actually, that was a very profound question. Yeah. Anybody else? Anything else? Yes, Sylvia. Sylvia just wants to ask about discernment. Oh, I should have stopped with that one. Okay. Because, um, uh, go ahead, Sylvia. So, if you're in the process of discerning something in your life. If you're in the process of discerning something in your life. And people are, and you're not quite sure what God is saying, and people are around you in this Western culture, and people are saying this is what you should do, or that is what you should do. Because I am, we are children of God, yes. Therefore. <laughs> in 25, yes. Uh, oh, good. The final caveat. Uh, in 25 words or less, tell me something about discernment. <laughs> I'm reminding, uh, reminded of a line from Fiddler on the Roof, asking questions that would cross a rabbi's eyes. Yeah, bye bye. Okay, so um, um, I want to suggest one of the great challenges that you're raising is a challenge that actually runs through all of the text. It starts. Okay, 10 steps back. We live in an on-demand civilization. Now, there's lots of things you could say about that pro, there's lots of things you could say that about that con. But an on-demand civilization leads one into thinking that there is somehow on-demand wisdom and on-demand discernment. And that, I gotta tell you, ain't there. Discernment and wisdom are about patience with process. And learning how to be patient with process in an on-demand civilization is one of the great challenges <clears throat> confronting all of us in the 21st century. So there's so much more to say about your question, but yeah, thank you. It's a wise person who knows how to create a test. That is part of what real sacred wisdom is, the understanding of what it means to create a test in real time. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, um, it is my prayer that each of you and the questions that came to your heart in this morning of study will find the path that leads you to the sacred gate that allows you in real time 
to enter your sacred future, our sacred future, as the days, weeks, months, and years unfold. Pray this in your name, O Lord. Amen. From Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, the priestly blessing. It's been said over God's people for over 3,000 years. It marks the moment as they're about to enter the promised land. And this is the blessing, and these are the words that allow us to go forward in all that he has for us, in all that he wants to give us. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha. The Lord bless you and guard you. Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha. The light of God's face upon you and grace you. Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. His face lifted up to our face and know his shalom, his peace, his wholeness for all the days of our lives. Amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter and with the community. See you next time.